Money FM 89.3, best of weekends. International News Review. International News Review with Steve Oaken. Good morning, Steve. How are you doing today? And let me just say good morning to my fellow Gen Xer, Neil, and it's good to share a studio with Glenn the Boomer. (laughs) It's nice to bring the age down a little bit, you know? Okay, we're going to move right on (laughs) to the California recall. All right, Steve, so this uh, past week... There was a recall election against Governor Gavin Newsom. The Republicans wanted him out of office. They say he's terrible. He's done a horrible job. And so they put it to a vote. Tell us about that uh, first, you know, that vote and then the result of it. Okay. well, first, no surprise that that Gavin Newsom won. I mean, California, a very blue state. It's it's two third Democratic, uh, one third Republican. He was running against uh, essentially was running against a talk show host. Right. You, you got a talk show host running for governor. I mean, think of like Neil, as great as he is on radio. And even though he claims to have met the queen, if he goes back to the UK and runs for prime minister, he's not going to win. And, and so it's, this is no surprise. Nice, nice analogy. <laughs> it was the only analogy you could come up with. <laughs> okay. It took me hours to come up with that. Uh, so why did the Republicans so want him out so badly? What don't they like about him? Um, well, California has a, a, a quirky system in, in this recall. And, and so even though the governor had been elected with literally 60 percent of the vote, you know, not even four years ago, you could have 15 percent of the people petition to have a recall election. And that, that shouldn't happen. And you can recall in, in California for any reason. It doesn't need to be malfeasance. It doesn't need that you broke the law. It could just be you don't like the guy. So there's Fifteen percent of Republicans, not surprisingly, don't like a, a Democratic governor, one who is very aggressive on, on COVID, one who is having you know lockdowns at the beginning, one who has mask mandates, one who's got vaccine mandates. And look, Newsom is, is all politicians do made a, a stumble along the way. So they were able to get the recall, but they got they got crushed. And they again, it's no surprise that they got crushed. But it does show how Democrats can win in the era of Trump. And yeah. could be a roadmap going forward. Mm. That was going to be my point, Steve, because I've read in several places that, if anything, this averted a crisis of confidence for the Democrats, because, as you mentioned, there's a clear pathway now, because there was some resistance within California towards the strict, yeah. you know, uh, mask-wearing, uh, pro-vaccine measures. There was some pushback against that. And, of course, that is the whole Trumpian mandate mantra call it what you will you know anti-vax anti-mask so they really not only did they push back they doubled down on that and on that sort of anti-trumpian thinking if you like didn't they yeah and that's the thing is that in that in newsom instead of defending what he did instead of playing defense he went on offense he said i am for science i'm for science when it comes to the vaccines i'm for science when it comes to masks i'm for science when it comes to climate change. And there may be no place in the world getting hit harder than climate change right now than California. So I'm, I'm pro-science, right? I'm, 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 pro, I'm pro looking at climate change. And in the US, I'm pro-women's rights, which is there's a big debate going on right now about uh, abortion with, with that Texas law we had talked about. So Newsom went very aggressive. And on the other side, you had a very Trumpian candidate. And Trumpian candidates don't do well 
when Donald Trump's not on the top of the ballot. Hmm. When Donald Trump is running, it's a different story. But here, where you don't have Trump on the ballot, you don't have people coming out to vote for him, you know, maybe this will mean that in the midterm elections coming up, with the Democrats going on the offense, they have a better chance than people thought they might have. Do you think this should be the way forward now, Steve? Because the way I'm reading it, it's almost as if the Democrats should draw a line in the sand now and say, you know what, we don't have to keep worrying about this sort of America first, make America great again. There's enough of a a multiracial, much of a younger electorate that if we Mm. just stay the course, we can be much more confident in our climate change policies, in our vaccine policies. We don't have to keep pandering or worrying about this so-called blue-collar Trumpian group in the Rust Belt. Well, I mean, it will. It certainly works in California. Yeah. Right? It will certainly work in New York. The question is, will that work um, in the Rust Belt? And that's the real big test that's going to come up, you know, in just about a year's time in these midterm elections. The last time there were midterm elections, Trump was in the White House. Um, he wasn't on the ballot and the Republicans lost 40 seats in the House. Now, usually the party in power loses some seats. The Democrats have a five-seat edge uh, in the House. You lose those five seats, not 40, you just lose five, and the House flips to Republicans. So this is a a huge learning for both Democrats and Republicans going into the midterms. The question is, what lessons will they take away, and are they applicable you know, in the in the heartland of the country, not just on the on the West Coast. Steve, let's step away from politics for just a moment and and talk about you know the economics of this. California has one of the biggest economies in the world, bigger than many nations. Uh, what what impact, at, if at all, does uh, confidence in the state, confidence in the governor, or renewed confidence in the governor have in terms of? economics, uh, the trade between uh, Asia and California, etc. It, it averted disaster, right, is what happened. Mm. California in and of itself is the fifth largest economy in the world. California is a larger economy than the UK. It's a larger economy than India. And if you'd have had, again, no offense, guys, a talk show host <laughs> running the government <laughs> with no experience whatsoever, it could have damaged economic ties. It certainly would have diverted attention. You've got, you know, Silicon Valley. You've got the defense contractors. You've got Apple. You've got Google, all headquartered in California. It would have had potentially an impact. So we averted disaster from an from an economic and a trade perspective uh, with this. And a lot of the questions you get going forward are, well. Sure, we like Biden in Asia from a, a you know a, a doing business perspective more so than we liked Trump. But how do we know Biden's going to stick around for for a next term, or the Democrats will stick around? How do we know Trump won't come back in? So we're going to hedge our bets, not knowing what's going to happen. Had had Elder One had Newsom been kicked out, that worry in Asia would have been much higher than it is today. All right. Who would have thought, let's move on, that you would have both Beijing and Paris equally angry at the U.S., the U.K. Staggering story. And Australia. AUKUS is our next story. Talk to us, first of all, what does AUKUS mean? Why did they come up with such a ridiculous acronym? And uh, what's the story behind the tale of the submarine? Well, they could have used, you know, a... U.S. UK, which would have been all you socks. So I think pocket <laughs> is is an improvement, uh, greatly preferable uh, to all you socks. See, now that was better uh, than your talk show host analogy. That was better. <laughs> <laughs> that's why you get paid the big bucks <laughs> that's, that's why, as a business consultant. 
they may be calling it that in Paris and Beijing. I mean, yeah, indeed they are. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is, you, you can't really underestimate how big a deal this is. Absolutely. And, uh, it, it, doing show prep, I talked to a friend of mine who's former uh, U.S. Department of Defense um, and asked him why does this matter so much from a military, a military perspective. And the difference between the diesel subs that the that the Aussies were going to buy from the, the French, as opposed to a, a nu- nuclear propulsion sub, is one: it's the range, right? You don't have to go back and forth to to refuel, so you can be out literally forever. I mean, it, yeah. your, your limitation is based on the crew, not on on anything else. Uh-huh. Second, you can make them much larger, which means you can put a lot more ammunition on them. You can put a lot more missiles on them, which means after you fire, you can fire again and you can fire again. And so your defensive or your offensive capabilities go way up with these nuclear subs. These are the crown jewels of defense. Um, And the U.S. and the U.K. have been very guarded on this since 1958. Bringing Australia into this, giving Australia nuclear propulsion submarines makes Australia a player in the South China Sea, it makes Australia a player in North Asia, it makes Australia a player in the Indian Ocean, and the Chinese weakest part of their military is is, is below the surface uh, of, of the ocean. And so mm-hmm. this is a real game changer militarily and politically and potentially economically. Well, you're absolutely right, Steve. I mean, that's an understatement. I was just reading this morning that France has uh, recalled ambassadors yeah. from these countries. They are not amused. We're talking billions of dollars here. Apparently, guys, I mean, you've probably read this. Um, the the Australians and the French were still meeting about their supposed def- uh, defence submarine agreements long after negotiations must have began between the Americans, mm. the Australians and the Brits. So bearing all that in mind, Steve... You know, the Australians in particular must have anticipated the fallout. And therefore, does that not underline how serious they see the Chinese threat in the Indo-Pacific region? Absolutely. And first, you know, as you say, the French are furious and the French have recalled now their ambassadors from Washington and Canberra. And that does not happen yeah. between allies. Yeah. Now, tellingly, they did not recall their ambassador from 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 London. Mm. Um, but that is a huge you know, way of showing your extreme displeasure. Mm-hmm. But the question is, one, what are the French going to do? Mm. What, what what is their reaction going to be? And don't forget, there's an election in France coming up. So how much of this is for the domestic audience in France? How much of this is for uh making sure Macron wins and his party wins and stays in power. So there is some politics going on around their, their real and, and, and rightful anger. But the Australians are saying the world has changed. Actually, the Australians are saying China has changed from when we signed this contract in 2016 with the French. And now that we have the opportunity to get nuclear propulsion submarines and now that the biden administration as opposed to the trump administration says the way to take on china is not unilaterally but through alliances it's a game changer in the Mm -hmm. eu it's a game changer in australia it's a game changer in asia pacific and it's a game changer in washington and steve you you touched on it there just a moment ago but lily ong who you know well is uh, one of our regular facebook uh, live listeners and she's saying you know the recall of the ambassadors aside what actual retaliation could we see from France toward the UK, US, and or Australia? I mean, really, do they have much uh, hand at this point to, to do anything? 
any long-term significant, no. And, and nor is it in their interest to do that. And alliances can get mended over time. The Japanese were furious hmm. at the United States when Nixon opened up to China without telling Japan. This shocked Japan back in the 70s where the, when, when the U.S. normalized relations with China without notifying the Japanese. The U.S.-Japanese is, is, is as strong a, an alliance today as it's ever been. These things will be overcome. Um, and so there isn't really, it's, it's not in France's interest long-term to do anything. Right. Um, and it's in the U.S. and Australia's interest and the U.K.'s to mend ties with France. Ian That'll Chan, be taken care of. Well, Ian Chan is asking on, on Facebook Live, will this mean that the French would now align more with the Chinese? I think there's an obvious answer to that. <laughs> <laughs> Over this incident. Well, who do the Chinese align with? Right. Mm-hmm. And who are do, who do they have alliances with? And the answer is, is not really anyone. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, is Iran alliance is Pakistan alliance is, is Russia an alliance for the for the Chinese? No, not certainly in, in the sense that the, the U.S. and Australia and Japan and Korea and, 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 and the EU have a, have alliances. And what are the Chinese going to do? Right. The Chinese have already gone after the Australians. The Chinese have gone after the Australians. They've arrested Australian citizens in Japan. They've used their economic coercion when the Australians didn't do what they liked when it came to the origins of COVID. So they slapped massive tariffs on it right, when it came to wine and, and the like. The, US, the China uses economic coercion when countries don't do what they want them to do, like they did with, with South Korea when they accepted the FAD missile defense. And then they went after Korean companies operating in China. So China's already doing all of those things. Mm-hmm. So I really... What else are you going to do other than what the move we see now between, you know, AUKUS? Just, you know, just to express anger. Okay, let's move on. A big visit, regional visit. Beijing is uh, trying to prop up some of its relationships. Speaking of Beijing, uh, Southeast Asian neighbors, Foreign Minister Wang Yi, uh, his second tour of the region. He's starting three-day visit in Vietnam on Friday. Then he goes to Cambodia to uh, spend a little money. And then he goes to Singapore. And then he goes to Seoul. He's They're really uh, going all out. Uh, one would assume in some measure to counter uh, Vice President Kamala Harris's trip here a, a few weeks ago. Mm. And I remember, I mean, you, and, you know, kind of segue from the other story. You know, Scott Morrison, three years ago, when he became Australia's prime minister, he said that the country is going to maintain close ties with China, its largest trading partners, and it will work with the United States, too, but it's not going to choose between the two. Australia chose, and they chose in the most public, aggressive way possible. Mm. Singapore, ASEAN is in that position that Australia is in. They don't want to choose between the U.S. and China. They want to be able to work with both. It is no surprise, Glenn, as you mentioned, after Vice President Harris has a successful visit to the region, after Secretary Austin has a successful visit to to Southeast Asia, both coming to Singapore, that the foreign minister uh, from China comes here because they want to show that countries in ASEAN don't need to make a choice, that they can be both with the United States um, and with China. It's tough to do that sometimes, but that's the message that they wanted to deliver. To deliver. And when, they, when he comes here and to Southeast Asia, does the AUKUS agreement change anything? Will it make conversations awkward in any way? Well, I mean, I think it could, and it certainly changed when, when you change the dynamic. Now, we have to keep in mind, these submarines are not coming you know, into service for a decade or longer. I mean, the U.S. and, and the U.K. are going to spend 18 months 
working with Australia to even just study and prep what these should look like. So this is going to play out over time. But it certainly shows that Australia, which didn't want to choose, um, has chosen. And what's interesting, I found, was when the, the foreign minister was in uh, Vietnam, the foreign minister said to his counterpart in Vietnam, you know, we have our disagreement in the South China Sea. And Vietnam is very adamantly opposed to what China is doing in, 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 in taking all those territorial claims in the South China Sea. So China's saying, you know, we could put South China Sea to the side and then we can cooperate where it's in our interest to cooperate as China and Vietnam. China's saying the exact opposite thing to the United States. China's saying to the United States, you want to cooperate with us on climate? Mm. Knock it off when it comes to you're saying there's genocide in Xinjiang. Knock it off when you're saying that we're abusing human rights in Hong Kong. Knock it off um, when you're saying that you're going to you know, uh, engage with Taiwan. So China has a different approach when it comes to what it wants to do versus what it wants other countries to do. And how is this all going to work out with this new power dynamic um, in the Indo-Pacific? Very good questions to watch. Awesome, Steve. Hey, Steve, if you don't mind uh, sticking around on Facebook Live and in the chat, there's a lot of questions uh, and comments there. If you if you wouldn't mind um, uh, replying to that, including some questions about uh, Singapore's position on this uh, with AUSOC, uh, etc. AUSOC. AUSOC. I have a quick question, yeah. Steve. Make it quick, Steve. You've just bought. You've won up me with that magnificent T-shirt you oh, have there. You yeah, see, Rupert. For, for the benefit of our listeners, I, I sometimes wear a, a T-shirt from my favourite movie, Robert De Niro movie, The King of Comedy. Steve asked me about it, and he's gone out and bought a better one than mine. That's a much better T-shirt, Steve. I love it. What? How can I top that clothes? It's, it's been uh, great, great, great for the. Uh, you gave me the website, Neil, to even find it. So uh, thank you. Brilliant. And I just give the final word to our listener, Mike Ung, yeah. because uh, Steve has been making fun of our oh, radio hosts. You know, couldn't become. You just had a reality TV star who was president for four years, mm. and you had. And a, look how that turned out. And you had a B movie actor who was governor of California <laughs> not too many decades ago. So there you go. Anything can happen. Exactly. Right, here we go. Thanks, Steve. Appreciate your time today. Thanks, guys. International News Review. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.